In this episode, I give you six effective tips to improve that sit-and-go play. Welcome to Smart Poker Study. I'm your host, Sky Matsuhashi, and I'm so appreciative that you tuned into the podcast for this week. Uh, if you missed last week's episode, you've got to check it out. In that one, I gave you five effective tips for tournaments. This one, six tips for sit and go, uh, sit and goes. And to tell you the truth, all 11 tips will help you in both tournament play and sit and go play. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, if you learn a little something from it, go to the show notes page, send your friends there as well. Smartpokerstudy.com slash SNG tips. So everyone you know, well, can know what you know, I guess, and be better sit and go players. Unless, of course, you don't want them to be better sit and go players, right? So we're going to go ahead and get to the tips in just a moment. Let me just tell you something. For someone like me who loves tournaments, uh, but who just doesn't have the time to play tournaments, sit and goes really are the next best thing. Um, today's tips are for six max and full ring sit and goes. Of course, they can be applied to 18 man, 45 man, 180 man sit and goes as well, but I'd never play them. To me, those are just bigger tournaments. Well, the 18 man is a two table sit and go, right? But 45 man and above just feels like a regular tournament to me. Uh, so these tips will work for that as well. But I'm a single table sit and go player. So that's what these tips are based upon. Now, in case you didn't hear the announcement I made last week, I'm holding my very first tournament on October 21st of 2020, and I want you to join. It's a $50 guaranteed, $1.10 buy-in, October 21st, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on America's Card Room. A 40-minute re-entry period, 2,000 starting chips, rebuys, add-ons, 8-minute levels. Uh, registration opens on the 11th, and you can find the tab on ACR under the Private Tournament tab. And it's called, well, Smart Poker Study Tournament. Nice and simple, right? Uh, for more information about it, go to smartpokerstudy.com slash tournament as well. All right, let's get to the six tips. Gambate. This is damn exciting stuff. Tip number one is tight is right. So when sitting goes, because there's no re-entry, your tournament life is your highest priority. Now, a lot of sit-and-go players, especially at lower buy-ins, $1, $3, $5, $10, $15 buy-ins, they're often just recreational players that are there for fun. And being Rex, they are getting in there and they're mixing it up with too many hands because they want to see flops, they want to make big hands, they want to play against their opponents, they want to gain their chips to make it deep. But your goal isn't to make big hands and see a lot of flops like they like their goal, right? Instead, your goal is to outplay your opponents and make money. The best way to do this is with tighter ranges than they play, which gives you a mathematical range versus range advantage. So let's say you're a tight player, and you only play the top 20% of hands most of the time. Well, your opponents often play anywhere from 40 to 50 to even greater percentage of hands. Let's cut the difference right there. Let's say your opponents often play a 45% range. If you go to the show notes page, you can see a screenshot of this, uh, a Flopzilla screenshot. I... Uh, put a 20% range against a 45% range. And uh, Flopzilla tells us that the 20% range has a 57% preflop equity versus that 45% range. This means that if you play the 20%, you have a built-in 12% equity edge over those loose opponents. Now, with this kind of built-in equity advantage, you are printing money in the long run when you play sit-and-goes. 
the biggest casinos in the world, they were built on just a total 1% edge over their patrons. If you're using your skill and your knowledge against your opponents, you're exploiting their tendencies, uh, you're playing the player, this mathematical edge is another thing that's going to propel you to become a winning sit-and-go player. Now, here's how you play tight. I'm not going to give you ranges, but very simple four parts. First, raise with hands ahead of their calling ranges. The second, call with hands at the top of their raising range. If they're raising every ace, don't call ace deuce, maybe ace ten suited instead. The third part, don't bluff if they ain't folding. And the fourth, go for maximum value when they can call you with worse hands. Alright, so one of the natural results of tight is right play is that your opponents kind of knock each other out. And this is tip number two, just let them knock each other out. These players, like I said, are playing 40-50% ranges, so they're going to be butting heads, and this is great for you. One of the biggest mistakes that you can make in a sit-and-go is getting knocked out in easy-to-avoid situations. For every player that gets knocked out, you're one step closer to the money. This means that their knockout is just handing you theoretical value. And you maximize this value by folding all but your best hands and let these fools clash. They get knocked out. You get closer to the bubble without you having to do anything at all. Now, it's a great feeling. I'm sure some of you current sit-and-go players know this uh, or experience in the past. It's an awesome feeling when you don't play a single hand and three orbits in, three players are already out of the game, right? You've already outlasted three players. You haven't done a single thing. You've uh, lost the blinds and antis for three orbits, just like five, six big blinds total in the early stages, right? No big deal right there. And I've actually made... Uh, I've made it into the money a few times without playing a single hand, just because all my opponents were too loose, too aggressive, knocking each other out, and I made the money piece of cake. Now here's an important thing you've got to keep in mind as you're watching your opponents knock each other out. Watch the action and learn from every showdown. We covered that tip in the prior episode. That's one of the five MTT tips. Now, here's what happened. The winner just knocked somebody else out. They earned their chips. They have a bigger stack now. You're going to have to contend with this player in the very next hand or in a future hand. But you saw what they had at showdown. You should replay the hand in your mind, figure out the logic that they use in their decisions, and this information can be super valuable and may help you exploit them in the future to win some of those chips that they just won off of their opponent. All right, and like I just said, that winner just earned chips from that other player. And this leads into tip number three. Pay attention to stack sizes because they are super important in Sintengos. You get a ton of recreational players who end up either getting knocked out or maybe developing a big stack. When these rec players develop a big stack, they often play, uh, they they become the table bully. Or they just play a lot more hands, a lot more passive calls, calling three bets, that kind of stuff. So when a recreational player has a big stack, expect them to not fold that often. They're going to use their chips when they have 30, 40, or 50 big blinds. They're going to call your 12 big blind shove with a pretty wide range because, hey, I got chips to burn, and their goal is just to knock you out, right? You also want to watch out for the short stack players who know what they're doing. Uh, As you know, probably, in sit-and-goes and tournaments, push-fold strategy, such a common strategy nowadays, and it's so common that even recreational players understand it. They know that at some point you have to just shove your chips in for maximum pressure uh, to in, in order to earn the blinds and antis, right? 
So as chip stacks decrease, watch out for some pre-flop shoves. And pay attention to those middle stacked players. In the early game, maybe it's not that big of a deal. You know, they still have plenty of big blinds even if they're right in the middle. But later on, once the antis kick in, once you get near the bubble, those mid-stack players are going to often tighten up. And you can take advantage of this and steal a, lot of, uh, steal a lot of blinds and antis from them. And if you're a short stack player up against a mid-stack, well, they're going to be scared of... Uh, making a bad call or making a bad play and letting you double up through them. Take advantage of this as a small stack as well. All right, after the break, we'll get to tips four, five, and six. All right, we got a few shout outs today. First off goes to people who purchased Poker Tracker 4 through my affiliate link. I've got to thank L. Hill, Tatsu926, and Bob Hampton. They went to uh, smartpokerstudy.com slash pokertracker4. They checked out the goods, saw what the program was all about. They picked it up. They know that their site accepts Poker Tracker 4. So now they got the best poker tracking software in the business, recording their hands and studying from them. And of course, they're utilizing the HUD, which I sent them actually my smart HUD for Poker Tracker 4 in thanks for their support of using my link. So if you need Poker Tracker 4, go to smartpokerstudy.com slash pokertracker. Four. And then speaking of the smart HUD, well, these next poker peeps bought it directly from me because they already had Poker Tracker 4, and so they needed the best HUD in the business. So I want to thank Graham Richardson, Greg Carter, Blaine, Oreo God, Jerry McAllister, Chris Whitaker, RJ Houston, Claudio Conti, Obese Man, Rocco Sanello, Chris Manuel, and Aaron Bully. You peeps have heard me talking about the Smart Hut over and over again. You've seen my videos on YouTube. Uh, you've seen me utilize it over and over to uh, exploit or analyze and exploit my opponents. You needed the goods for yourself. So thank you very much for visiting smartpokerstudy.com slash smarthud to make that purchase. All right, let's get to tips four, five, and six. So tip number four is patience pays. So this goes right along with tip number one, playing tight, right? When you play tight, it might be a little bit boring, uh, especially if you're used to playing a ton of hands. If you're the kind of player that V-pips 40, 50% of the time, wow, going down to 20%, it's going to be boring because you're doing a lot of folding. What you need to do, especially if being tight is a big change, give yourself permission to play tight. Be okay with folding and just watching the action and letting your opponents do the dirty work for you and knock each other out. In general, especially at the micro and low stakes, whether it's tournaments and cash games and everything, boring poker is winning poker. Especially when everyone else is playing super exciting, never folding, gotta hit those flops kind of poker. But just because you fold doesn't mean you can turn your brain off. Use that time wisely and pay attention to the action after you fold. Now, your patience with a tight-is-right kind of style of play, it's going to pay off with more frequent caches and a bigger bottom line. So, once again, allow yourself to play tight and be happy when your opponents are mixing it up because their mistake of loose play only benefits you. Plus, as they're playing hands, that's a lot of information for you to be paying attention, learning their strategies, learning their uh, logic, learning their techniques, and then exploiting them in the future. Tip number five is 3-bet, re-steal versus frequent open raisers. 
So you always want to pay attention to players who are just open raising too often. Frequent open raising means they have wide stealing ranges, means they have loads of hands that probably are going to fold to a 3-bet. And 3-bet restealing is a great way to earn chips and maintain or even build your stack in Sintengos. A successful 3-bet often adds 4.5 to 5 big blinds to your stack. And if you're at 20 big blinds right now and pick up a 5 big blind pot, hey, 25% increase, right? That's going to allow you to comfortably remain tight just a little bit longer until the blinds go up again. Then you steal another pot. Great 3-bit restealing hands are often suited aces because they block your opponent from having the best hand. When you have an ace, they have less ace-king, ace-queen, ace-jack, and pocket aces in their range. And with those suited aces, in case you get called, you have flush potential, obviously, and maybe even straight potential, ace-5 through ace-king and ace-deuce through ace-5. Or, what I say? Ace-10 through ace-king and ace-deuce through ace-5. Now, king-queen suited and king-jack, those are decent 3-bet restealing hands as well, but they're not as good as those ace-blocking hands. When you get to around 15 big blinds or so, most of your 3-bet resteals are going to be all-in shoves. This is textbook push-fold strategy, and it gives you the most fold equity. Just be sure your opponent can find a fold after open raising. You want to look at their chip stack, put them on a range, and then if they can fold, great, make the 3-bet resteal. And for a little bit more on making sure they can find a fold, revisit tip number three in last week's episode number 311 about uh, five effective tips for multi-table tournaments. And the final tip, number six, focus on laddering up. So in six max sit and goes, you make the money at two players, so you're focused on winning once you make the money. However, in those full ring sit and goes, nine players, you make the money with the final three players. When the bubble bursts and the fourth place player is gone, your goal switches from making the money to now getting first place, or also laddering up, because there's a huge prize difference between third and second place and second to first place. Now, when you make the money, and if you're the big stack, you want to bully your opponents and steal as many blinds and antis uh, as you can with good opportunities. Don't make frivolous calls. I've seen too many big stack players willy-nilly just calling short stack, like seven big blind shoves. They call with like jack-10 suited and king-9 suited. What are you doing? You're just throwing away those seven chips, most likely. Every chip that you lose, whether you're the big stack or the small stack, it's so much more valuable than every chip you win. And you cannot afford to make poor calling mistakes, especially when you're in the money, when you're going for second place or going for first place. Again, like tip number one, if you're calling somebody's raise or their shove, you've got to be at the top of their raising or betting range. Now, when you're the middle stack and you want to stay alive, uh, you got to either knock out the small stack or allow the other players to battle. Hopefully, that big stack knocks out the small. Of course, double up if you can against the big stack, but don't make any of those, uh, oh well, I have an ace, I gotta call. No, 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 don't do any of that. Don't do any shoving. Uh, it's an ace, I gotta shove. No, think about the situation that you're in and think about the likelihood that you're going to get what you want. If you want value, hey, understand that they can call with worse. If you want them to fold, great. Take a look, like I said earlier, stack size, their range, gauge how it interacts with the board, and if they can fight a fold, Awesome. Go ahead and bet or raise. And if any time you're calling, make sure you're getting a good price on any draws, or of course you're at the top of their range and you can beat a lot of their betting, shoving, raising hands. 
Now, as the short stack, you want to look for opportunities to double up against either player when you have hands ahead of their ranges. And as the short stack, you can also put pressure on that middle stack because he's aware of your stack size and he doesn't want to lose chips to you. He doesn't want all of a sudden to be reversed, double you up. Now he's at seven big blinds, you're at 15. No, doesn't want that at all. So as a short stack, if you're going to attempt any bluff shoves, you need to gauge how much fold equity you have. Sometimes you're the short stack and things just played out to where you have seven big blinds, but your two opponents have like 30, 35 big blinds. You really don't have a ton of fold equity there, so you're going to just have to take a chance at some point and probably expect to call, so you might want to shove with something suited, something connected, some big cards, that kind of thing. Challenge! Here's my challenge to you for this episode. I want you to enter my first tournament on October 21st. Once again, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, $1.10 buy-in, 2,000 starting chips, 40-minute re-entry period, 8-minute levels. Going to be a ton of fun. I am going to be there. My screen name is Frisky Misky. I just gave you 11 tips to help you do that and knock me out of the tournament. Now it's your turn to take action and Scooby-Dooby-Doo something positive for your poker game. Oh, that's it now. Get out there and be somebody. Alrighty, everyone, your learning is not complete until you visit the show notes page, smartpokerstudy.com slash SNGtips. You'll see basically a transcript of today's episode with all the tips printed out right there for you so you can study and take notes to your heart's content. Of course, sign up for my first tournament, smartpokerstudy.com slash SPS tournament for all the details, and you can find it in America's Card Room under the private tournament tab. If you're down with taking action to improve your skills and your bankroll, you have to become a member of my monthly site, thepokerforge.com. Check it out today. All right, until next time, take action both on and off the felt to become the player that you want to be.